say that babies aren't born with a manual, but we thought, why not create one? Why not make a podcast that's the go-to guide for parents when they come unstuck? This is the Parent Manual, a babyology podcast where experts in breastfeeding, sleeping, toddler behaviour and nutrition answer your specific questions. I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. You can ask your questions on Babyology's Facebook Live every Thursday at 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. We'll include links in the notes of this episode. Today, we're talking about toilet training and the challenges that may come with that. And our expert is toilet training expert Monica Ferry from Babyology's online expert portal, Parent School. That's a lot of experts in one sentence, Monica. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Chef. Yes, there was a lot of experts in one sentence. No, no pressure. <laughs> No pressure. Uh, so if you have a question for Monica and you've joined us on the Facebook Live, you can pop them below in the comments here and we'll get to as many as we can. If we can start, Monica, with this question from Elle. She says, hello, I have a nearly three-year-old. Why um, why is it harder for kids to poo in the toilet than it is to wee? And why do they hide when they're doing a poo when they're still in their nappies? Is there something we can do to get him to poo in the loo? <laughs> Sounds like a Dr. Seuss question, that one. It is the most common question in the that there is. Um, how do I get my child to poo in the toilet rather than in the nappy? And um, so there were three parts to that question. The the first one was it was about Why the hiding. Why is it harder for kids? Why to is it harder? Okay, so so there's there's no evidence about why it's harder, but Anecdotally, it clearly is, but it would suggest that it's harder um, because of the way that we as parents actually differentiate between poo and wee. Most of us are really happy to have our, our little ones follow us into the toilet if we're having a wee, but we all like our poo privacy. <laughs> so so we, we tend to treat it differently ourselves so our kids learn really early about what's easier and, and what's what's friendlier um, with we, yeah, come in, no problem. But poo, I'd like to be on my own, thanks very much. Um, and while there's no written evidence for that, I suspect that that actually has something to do with it, that we treat mm. it differently as adults. Hiding, I think, is, and it, hiding is very common, so lots of children go and hide when they when they want to do a poo. It's a signal to you that your child's actually getting a message from their brain to say you need to do a poo and that the child is getting some control because poo is different from we as well in that we is learning to release. Poo is actually learning to stop the reflex to release. So when we're babies, we're out, our poo happens on a reflex and there it goes. Like, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but we learn to control that reflex. So a child gets the message, thinks, oh, I need to control that and then find somewhere private to, to do my little poo. And, and a lot of kids do that. So how do you get them from the nappy to the toilet? If your child's a hider, the first, the first thing to do is to get them to hide in the toilet room. We want everything to do with toileting to get close to the toilet. So 
we put the nappies in the toilet room. We encourage them to hide in the toilet room. No, no pressure for the toilet yet, but encourage them to hide there. If they're really happy to sit on the toilet for a cleanup, then sit them on the toilet for a cleanup. Get them used to being on the toilet and in the toilet room. For poo too, it's really important to have a stool with, with steps or um, one of those little seats that goes over the toilet that reduces the size of the hole because we want our kids to be really relaxed and comfortable, but we also want them to be in the best physical position for pooing. And that's your, your knees, plant, or sorry, your feet planted and your knees slightly higher than your hips. Now, the first one is more important than the second. So we don't want a, a little one's feet dangling in the air because then they're trying to balance how do you balance with your bum muscles clenched? Really hard to poo when that's when you're doing that. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, the next question comes from Philippa. She says, hi, Monica. I'm hoping you can help. My five and a half year old has been toilet trained since he was three, but we can't seem to keep him dry at night. We've stopped giving him a drink before bed and we're using a sticker chart to encourage him. Five dry nights in a row, five stickers, and he gets to choose a small toy. However, we can't seem to get past three nights and then he has an accident. Should I be waking him up at night to take him to the toilet? What should we do? So the, so the good and bad news here, Philippa, is that you can't actually train a child to be dry at night. Why we wee or wet the bed at night is it doesn't relate in any way to what's to what's going on during the day or toilet training during the day. It can relate if we have lots of accidents during the day. Um, it can make it more difficult to be dry to be dry at night. But in fact, the reason that we don't wet the bed at night as adults is because we are genetically programmed for at some age, and for 88% of children, it's before the age of six, for our brain to start um, triggering the release of a hormone called antidiuretic hormone at night in response to a full bladder. So if you imagine that we're in bed, our, our bladder is full, it's screaming that, that we're full, the brain, the brain releases or organizes the release of this hormone. And what that hormone does is it actually strips fluid out and returns it back to our bloodstream to maintain our blood pressure and blood volume. That's why in the morning our wee is really concentrated. The time that that starts to happen is part of your genetic program. So we, we can't we can do things to encourage it when when it starts to when it starts to become obvious and three three dry nights it's probably starting to stabilize so it takes a little while once once the brain starts getting the message oh yes i can see what to do it takes a little while for that to stabilize so a few dry nights would suggest that that hormone is starting to work and, and I would persevere, but it actually has nothing to do with fluid intake. Fluid intake is really important because we want to build bladder capacity. So restricting drinks at night 
doesn't make any difference to whether a child will wet the bed. Getting a child up at night will empty the child's bladder, but it won't actually train the body in any way to respond or to start um, producing the hormone. If your child's a light sleeper, they will wake up when the brain is screaming or when the bladder is screaming, I'm full, do something about me. A deep sleeper, that child's gonna, going to sleep right through and they're going to wet the bed. So um, we actually have a second question about nighttime toilet training um, for older kids, which relates to that. So Liz was wondering the same thing about her six-year-old and who's saying, you know, is it normal to still wet the bed at this age? And, and you just mentioned there that a lot of children will have this hormone by age six. Yes. So if she's six and she's still wetting the bed, is that a problem? It's, it's a problem if it's upsetting her. So physically, it's, it's not really a problem unless it continues to go on. And, and then, it, then it, in a lot of cases, will require intervention. And the intervention are things like um, the alarms that go on beds that, that actually start making a horrendous noise when a child, when a child lets out about a, a 10 cent piece of of wee worth of wee that alarm will go off oh god that sounds awful (laughs) but what but what the alarm is trying to do and and it's very successful by the way it works in about 87 percent of cases so it's a very successful strategy but what it does is because it wakes the brain at the time the wee is being released the brain gets the message to say actually, I'm supposed to be sleeping now and I have all of these other things to do for the body while, while it's asleep, so healing and, and ensuring, digestion, all everything that the brain does for us at night. When it's being interrupted, it eventually gets the message and this, this happens for most kids within six weeks of using alarms. The brain will get the message to say, I need to stop this waking up because of the full bladder and it will trigger the release of the hormone. Wow. But part of the reason why we get lots of questions about night wetting was we only discovered the genetic link in 1997. Before that, we thought it was a behavioural thing or... We thought it was laziness or, or physical in, in some other way. It, it's actually not. It's about mm-hmm. when that hormone starts release and it's about whether your child's a deep sleeper or not. Yeah. So with Liz, how long should she wait before she um, looks into those sorts of alarm systems? So I, I would say if the child's at all distressed, then I, then I would start then I would look into that a lot of um, a lot of contact we get is a, about night wedding is in this window of just after six when kids start school and they have a sleep they're having sleepovers or there is lots of schools now have like a school camp at school um, possibly not during pandemic times but um, they they have those occasions where um, kids will be together at night. So parents and kids won't really want to do something about that. 
but in in a form two class i'm showing my age there sorry in a year eight class <laughs> there'll be at least one who's still wetting the bed wow oh that's that's tough when you're 14 15 however so that would make you that's why we want to get on that's why we do want to do something about it because kids are really embarrassed by that age and like i said alarms 87 percent yeah yeah sounds like a good plan this next question comes from tanya she says my 18 month old is showing signs of being ready to toilet train but i didn't start with her two older brothers until well after two years old i'm hesitant to try and then revert back to nappies if she isn't actually ready as i've heard this can put them off is it true that girls are ready sooner than boys that is true and there is a significant body of evidence that supports that in the toilet training area, but also developmentally. Girls are about six months ahead of, ahead of boys at 18 months, two years of age. That catches up over, over the subsequent years. And by the time they go to school, um, pretty much they're on the same page. But if an 18-month-old if an girl is showing signs of readiness, I would, I would be taking advantage of that window because when when we see the behavioral signs of readiness and the physical signs of readiness so if your little girl can hold on to wee for a, an hour and a half two hours if um you can see that if she's hiding that tells you that her brain is recognizing triggers from from her body or you see other other signs that she's working hard on a poo so she's act taking active, an active role in getting a poo out, um, then, yeah, I would be taking advantage of that and go for it. But you don't have to keep the nappy off all the time. So you, a parent might be more comfortable starting in the morning and then putting a nappy on in the afternoon. There's no evidence to suggest that that is detrimental in any way, that it's harmful, that it confuses the child or any of those common myths about oh my God, what if we put the nappy on? There is no evidence that supports that. That's just a kind of a cultural myth. Isn't that interesting? I think that's such a, it's such a relief to hear that as a parent. I wish I'd, I wish I'd known that with my kids because I don't think I would have considered it an option, but it really does just take the pressure off if you have to go out or you know, and you're in the middle. Always of the put a nappy on. When you're toilet training, always put a nappy on when you go out. Mm. We, we hear, and I'm sure lots of your families can tell horror stories about themselves or other families where they've been out with a two-year-old or, or a three-year-old, they've left a nappy on, the poor child has wet themselves in a restaurant or in the supermarket or somewhere, and it's so traumatic for everybody but then the child seems to to go backwards or get get really really distressed about it. Mm. It's not necessary. When you go out, put a nappy on. Yeah. This question comes from Fiona. She says, my three-year-old has been toilet trained for about six months or so now, but it was a bit of an uphill battle to get here. Now she's started preschool, and I've noticed almost every second day she's having an accident. Is this normal regression because of the change? to preschool or should I worry it's it's normal regression and well done on on toilet training um your little girl 
It is, it is quite normal for a child when they find themselves in a different situation to regress a little. And that's, that's because toilet training is, and, and toileting, sometimes until a child is six or seven, is not an automatic process. It's a conscious process. So when a child's got room in their brain to, to hear the message from their body, and, and translate that into action consciously. So they say, oh, I need a wee. Oh, and I need to go to the toilet. I need to take my pants down. They're consciously thinking their way through, through the steps to be successful. And lots of kids will do that until their brain says they're all over it. I will make it automatic, which is why you or I don't think in terms of those steps because it's been automatic for a long time prep teachers will say to their classes now it's it's recess time don't everybody please go to the toilet that's a reminder for the kids for whom it is not automatic yet it yeah. will become automatic but how long that takes every every child's going to be different so that regression will pass as as the new environment becomes familiar they won't have to think about that anymore. They won't have questions spinning in their head about it. So the toileting message will be one that they are able to give conscious attention to. We have another question about the night wedding. It's from Kaz on Facebook. She says, my six-year-old girl is still not dry at night. We have tried without a pull-up, but she was still wetting the bed once every night. She's a very heavy sleeper and hates being woken to wee during the night. It was just causing so much stress for both of us. At what age should we be seeking further help? So in this instance, I guess the little girl is upset about it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I would... I would start addressing that with um, using an alarm. There are portable alarms. So there's little alarms that go in, in undies. They're not as successful. They're successful in about 50 to 60% of cases. They're not as successful, but they are cheaper. Um, so uh, that's one option. The alarms on the beds are, are much more successful, but they do, they do take that... Um, they do have that horrendous waste of everyone else. Yeah, yes. And there are stories about how the whole house is awake except for the child who's <laughs> on the week, who's like lying there. But one one thing that can assist you is before you go to bed, and you can do this with a child of any age. So before a parent goes to bed, it's worth checking their nappy to see if they've already weed. Most people who wet the bed, most, most little ones who wet the bed, wet before midnight. So if you're going to bed, checking their nappy, if their nappy is wet and, and it's 11 o'clock at night, don't even think about taking the nappy off. Mm. That hormone's not working. It is, it is incredibly likely that they need more time. If the child's dry, that they might be dry every night and weeing in a pull-up at six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning uh, because lots of kids do that. Or it might be that that hormone's in stabilising time. So it's worth having a go and seeing what happens. 
But if your child's wet before midnight, that hormone isn't activated. So it's worth, if they're over six, mm. exploring what, what the options are that you would like to take for your, for your little one. So um, you mentioned the alarm system. Should um, Kaz be taking her doctor to see a GP? A GP is generally across how to manage um, this sort of thing in older kids. So a lot of the, no, GPs, it's, it's often not an area of expertise. Uh, a a paediatrician who specialises in continence can they they will be across it and they can be very helpful. Lots of the hospitals have a program that that they, for want of a better term, they rent out alarms. Or um, so the the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, for example, has a public hospital has a program where you can get an alarm for your child. There are private organisations as well that um, have alarms and you can have a, con a consultation and then um, get an alarm from them. And as I said earlier, about a six-week window and lots of kids go from wetting the bed every night to not wetting the bed at all. Wow. That sounds like a really good option for Kaz actually, doesn't it, to see if she can get one of those alarms, see particularly if that works. If, particularly if her little one's upset. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what a shame it has to wake everyone else up as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, this question comes from Alicia. She says, my two-year-old got the hang of wheeze on the toilet pretty quickly and seems to love climbing up to do them and is pretty proud of herself. Poos are a different story. She holds and holds and I'm worried she's making herself constipated. She'll go within five minutes of us getting her a nappy over. She'll go within five minutes of getting, um, of us giving her a nappy overnight. Any tips on getting her more comfortable with number two? Yes. So, so again, really common story, really successful with we, but a, a problem with poo. So we want to, to get the little girl feeling much more comfortable in the toilet room. We definitely want to address anything that is causing that little girl to hold. So constipation is the biggest issue that we have with children actually not wanting to poo in the toilet. And that's because if, if a child's constipated, it generally goes down a path where there is, they're scared in the first place, they hold, hold, hold. Then when their body eventually has to pass a poo, it causes a tear. So then we have pain. Then we, it, it, the cycle continues with, oh, my God, this is going to hurt. I'm, I'm really scared about that. And so a child will just hold, hold, hold. So we really want to ensure that our kids are not frightened of pooing full stop. A child that is happy to, to poo in a nappy, that's a much better option than a child who's, who's too frightened to poo at all. So firstly, that's great that she's, that she's happy to poo in, in the nappy. If it's the night nappy, then firstly try and separate the, the nappy that you know she's going to poo in 
with the nappy that she's going to put on to go to bed. So give her the option of having that nappy earlier, cleaning up, all of that, nothing to do with bedtime. Okay, that's all done with. Now we're getting ready for bed and this is our bedtime routine, which has nothing to do with that pooey nappy. Now we want to get the little girl comfortable with the toilet so that so the pooing in the nappy, all the cleanup happens in the toilet room. The sit on for a for a cleanup if the little girl's happy to do that. If the little girl's not happy to do that, we're still going to clean them up in the toilet room and we're going to clean them up standing up. We actually want to remove the laying down on the change mat and the lying back and this is nothing to do with me someone someone's taking care of all of this and that's so much better than me being involved we we actually want our our little ones to become part of that process to to kind of understand oh this is where it's all supposed to happen so we're cleaning them up in the toilet room if they'll sit on the toilet fan, fantastic um Lots of kids get really interested in rolling off the toilet paper and handing it. And, and when they're about three and a half, they can start to reach wiping their bottoms. So you might do 90% of it and then let them have a, have a go. Uh, if they're frightened of sitting on the toilet because of the splash or um, the sound, then we might put toilet paper in, in the bottom of the toilet before, before they do that let them flush, they get them involved in the process, but sit them on for a cleanup, sit them on for, and, and say, so there was, there was a sneaky poo that, that found its way out there. Let's see if there's any more. And they know there's no more, you know there's no more. So there's actually no performance pressure here. Yeah. It's, it's just about, let, let's sit on and see if there's a bit more. Um, and most children are actually happy to sit there without any pressure to perform. So when they're happy to do that for, the, for after they've done a poo, the next step then is to get them to have a try before you put the nappy on. So how about we have a try before we put the nappy on? And almost all children will, if we've been following those steps, be happy to sit on for a try beforehand again no performance pressure they've been trying for a bit more for a while so let's have let's have a try and see if there's see if there's some no sneaky poo wants to be done wants to find its way into a nappy okay but that but we will we will be able to move them forward in in that way and progress them from the geography of the nappy to the geography of the toilet yeah, can feel like a big move, can't it, at the time. I think we've got time to squeeze in one more question. This one's from Evelyn. She says, everyone says to wait until your kids seem ready to toilet train. My boy will be three, week, three, three next week, and so far he just hasn't seemed ready. I really want to give it a go, but don't want to create a negative association with it if he, hasn't, if he isn't ready. Advice? So, so there are... Behavioural indicators of readiness and physical indicators of readiness. We, we need both. So physical indicators, we're looking for that they can hold on for wee for about an hour and a half to two hours. If they can't hang on 
for that long. We want to increase their fluid intake to build their bladder capacity so they can hold on for that long. We also want, and I spoke before about the signs of pooing. So we want some indication, oh yeah, they can, there's a poo happening here and they know there's a poo happening here. And they're controlling that reflex to when it suits them. It's, for a child who likes control, pulling their pants up and down can sometimes be, be something they really are interested in controlling. So that would be a physical sign as well. Behaviorally, Interest comes from curiosity. So when we see a child is curious about the toilet, that is a demonstration of readiness. So when a child's interested in what are you doing in there and what happens in there and where does that go and can I get the toilet paper and hand it to you and, and can I flush and all of those things, they are signs that behaviourally the child is ready. If you don't see those behavioural signs, but you have the physical ones, then we need to help the child to, and, and sometimes that window's passed. So, so we need to get that level of interest back. So if you've got a competitive child, setting the oven timer and racing them to the toilet um, might be something that, that they're interested in. Setting it up, setting their toileting up with a routine that goes with other activities that they love. So before we have the, the, the toy tea party, we, everyone goes to the toilet, including the toys. So we, we start to introduce that interest in play or in a playful way to spark that curiosity or that they're probably past curiosity if, if they're over three, but we can get their, almost their enjoyment and excitement about it triggered by engaging playfully with it. But we need the physical as well. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on with toilet training and, and we could speak forever, I'm sure, but we'll have to wrap it up now, Monica. So thank you so much for all your help and advice today and uh, thank you everyone who has joined us via the Facebook live and if you're listening via podcast and you'd like to ask some questions of Monica with regards to toilet training you will find her at Babyology's parent school there'll be links in the notes of this episode and also if you're watching live via Facebook and you think you need a one-on-one -on -one with Monica you can follow the links through and book in with her and uh, we'll be back next week talking about speech impediments. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you then. Mm -hmm.